0: Hey, I'm Danny Levy, and you're listening to Digital Transformation and Leadership. This is the show where we go behind the scenes with today's top business leaders to understand how they're digitally transforming their company. This week, I'm joined by Atchell Dillon, CEO and founder of the Music Federation. Atch, welcome to Digital Transformation and Leadership.
1: Thanks for having me, Danny. How are
0: you? I'm very well, yeah, very well. So, so, Ach, just before we get started, it would be great if you could introduce yourself and what it is you're doing.
1: Sure. My name is Ach L. Dillon. I live in uh, London, in the United Kingdom. Um, and I'm the Chief Executive Officer of a relatively new organisation in independent music called the Music Federation. Uh, The Music Federation, as the uh, name suggests, is um, an array of different uh, music businesses uh, located in different areas around the world, all with uh, different professions. This ranges from record labels through to concert promoters, um, other sort of service providers such as lawyers and booking agents and uh, PRs and uh, different stakeholders in music, not least of all, um, artists are also the principal stakeholders in this uh, uh, music music federation. Uh, We're all linked through a streaming element and we payload our members with um, different, uh, different services that allow them to compete in a global sense um and it's more alluding to preserving their identity as a cottage industry what independent music does particularly well is uh create and innovate um a lot of uh, everyone's favorite artists today actually come from uh, the independent sector when they uh convert to a mass market so a large part of what we're concerned with is business and artist development we kind of see them uh as one of the uh one of the same thing um so all uh, just to recap that all the services range from funding so we issue advances to to our members to sign new artists to their labels we create festivals for our members and anything you can think as a one-stop solution for your music business needs that's the music federation
0: we were going to talk about the future of the music industry which for me as a bit of an outsider um i mean as close as i get to the music industry is probably browsing through spotify um from from the outside looking in the industry which had already changed so rapidly um in the past kind of decade has been on steroids i guess through through the health pandemic through covid um and we're gonna we're gonna talk to you today as a somewhat of a an expert in the space, um, you know, you've been involved in it with a long, long, for a long, long time. Um, we're going to talk through three, three big points here, but I thought for the listeners who are probably like myself for the most part, who might not know too much about the music industry and what's gone on, I thought it would be great if you could, you could talk us through from your perspective what's really happened over the past few years, and and maybe what's kind of on your mind or, or front of mind at the moment.
1: You know, I think whenever you hear the phrase music industry in either B2B media or elsewhere, you always hear the follow-up phrase, it's always in a state of flux, it's in a state of change. The music industry is permanently changing because there are two main tectonic plates next to each other. One could be labelled marketing and technological development, and that's where you'll probably hear about like more sort of the golden stats like, Spotify's sort of increasing market share, although we'll talk about that in a little bit because uh, something's actually changed in the last couple of weeks. That's how rapid the changes are. But since the advent of what we now understand to be the streaming economy, and this sort of like could be sort of seen to start around the 2013, 2014 period where downloads suddenly stopped being the dominant form of music format, this was sort of leaving an era where iTunes was the dominant retailer that everyone just, you know, you'd equate Retailing music for, uh, with iTunes and charts with iTunes. So around 2014 That's when streaming really hit that's when playlist culture and DSPs really started to take hold and uh, The music industry at least in terms of record labels really started to embrace the streaming economy I having traditionally or inferably try to control it or indeed destroy it in an Napster kind of like context so in 2014 your global music industry including recorded divisions, publishing, live, merch, all of it. It's worth around $14.2 billion USD. If you fast forward to 2019, it's now worth $21.5 billion at the last check. We are still riffing through 2020 numbers, but um, inferably, again, we saw a huge surge in what are called premium subscriptions to... Digital subscription platforms like Spotify, Apple Music. This is more if you try to imagine a lockdown scenario without uh, access to streaming technology, and uh, I'm sure that we'd all be feeling quite different um, uh, at this sort of like point in time. Of course, bearing in mind a number of people haven't had access to streaming technology uh, over that period. So um, over the uh, since 2015. Um, the uh, It's it's undoubtable in statistical terms that streaming has driven the overall growth of the global music industry. As in global streaming revenue since 2015 have leapt by 42%. Uh, that's across all DSPs and this has naturally led to what has happened in the last two years where The major labels are now reporting, on a quarterly basis, well over a billion dollars of revenue. Um, So we are seeing companies just churning passively just for having content, music out there in the market, just generating billions purely for it just sitting out there and not necessarily proactively breaking new acts or uh, uh, making it easier for new entrants into this line of work so your other tectonic plate running alongside all of that could be called rights holders so a the problem is the rift in the music industry is this technology has accelerated the consumption of music to industrial levels to levels and numbers that we never ever thought were possible within our lifetime on the other hand the rules governing what we are trading at baseline level, the intellectual property right usually concerned with music is copyright and the loudest member of those copyrights being traded is the audio master, the recorded music that you are hearing on Spotify and Apple Music, etc. So um, the problem is that the rights holder, their rights are not keeping up with the level of of dispersion with that the technology actually allows. So with all of those gaps in this co- in copyright that currently underpins trading in the music business, at least as far as uh, streaming is concerned, which we can accurately say is driving everything, <clears throat> um, the artists are losing out because the law is not sufficient to keep up with the technological advances. And to put that in context, we saw over, two, over the last two years in a global lockdown scenario, Hospitality industries worldwide shut uh, shut down. Live music um, is, um, from the perspective of the artist, and we're taking this through averages, a lot of different uh, music is hardly, you know, a homogenous sort of like a, a creative hub. Like the idea and the appeal of it is that it's so infinitely subjective as to what's good and what isn't, what's popular and what isn't. Um, So live music from the uh, perspective of the artist, counts for around 60% of their annual income. So for the first time in net effects, we have seen with the effective shutdown of the live industry, we have seen a record industry, master audio laid completely naked to bear in front of the world. And we've also, so within that, within those two tectonic plates passing next to each other, we've worked out the laws underpinning Um, uh, the sale of music, of recorded music in the streaming context is not fit for purpose and is not set to uh, prop up the career of the artist in in its own right. It was never designed for that. So with the increase in demand for it to do it on the bait over reliance on streaming technology, there's a bit of an outcry for the law to be updated in a global sense with respect to the intellectual property rights. So that is kind of setting the scene as where we're at for right now.
0: That was a really good introduction, actually. I Really, really enjoyed that. Thanks so much. <laughs> um, and you mentioned that I guess the the labels are the ones that are really profiting, if I if I understood mm-hmm. correctly, and then and are doing well through this. And and it's the artists that are suffering, and especially because through the pandemic, live music's been shut down as well, which was it was sixty percent of their of their income. So it's like a perfect storm for artists to really be struggling. Do, do you think? I don't know, short to medium term or even longer term, is it impacting on newer artists coming through? Do you you see that on, on, you know, whether they can make a living from this?
1: It's, um, I think what we've seen now that we've had uh, an open autopsy, shall we say, of uh, the, at least in the UK, I believe this is the first uh, government ordered inquiry uh, into the fairness of the streaming economy. I mean there are so many different aspects to the music ecosystem that fairness is actually holding court right now and there seems to be an ongoing cross-examination of pretty much every monetizable facet uh, of the music business. but to your question, um, this is where you know we often equate like independent music and the marketeers start, you know, uh, romanticizing about themselves, about being in warfare in some Mm -hmm. strange way. But it does feel like you are constantly having to fight to justify why you're in the room for the first place. And I think that sentiment is most closely held by new artists. It's, you know, on one hand, technologically, we could say that DSPs and the discovery tools that they present to the world, that like there is a more infinite menu of choice to the consumer and therefore that might infer that marketing becomes more democratic mm-hmm. or at least more republic based, I suppose. But on the other hand, that, <clears throat> that notion really starts to dim when you start following the money, when you start mm-hmm. following the corporate shareholding of certain sort of uh, retailers in this space. Um, you can still see that uh, monopolistic sort of like endeavors are still ever present in the music business and before, you know, issues like payola still exists. So um the the worry is it's it new entrants can make it, but it's hard. It's been it I would say it's more convenient for people to sell music than ever before. You certainly do not need a label at all or to know anyone that works at a label in order to get your music out there. But you might need one in order to compete, in order to actually get somewhere. So to recap that, don't need label to release. You might need A music industry to actually highlight your release, Mm -hmm. Um, and therein lies the problem. There's a real big sort of like notion, a big uh, you know. I mentioned like warfare. I don't think it's that sort of drastic, but perhaps like you know, there's during parliamentary debates and I guess lobbying uh, in the more recent legislative sort of like apparitions of what's been going on over in the UK. And I'll come to that at a later point. Mm -hmm. Um, there do seem to be quite clear divisions forming based on the fairness and the spirit and the equitability of what music is supposed to be. Um, So those divisions are sort of like ever-present and uh, I guess um, where I'm personally positioned is trying to find that middle ground between the zeros and ones that you know the more unashamed financially driven technological side of what music is doing right now versus the art form i yeah. think the two can peacefully coexist it is possible we just have to try
0: yeah okay so the, the first thing you were going to introduce was converting creativity into an industrial process so what what do you mean by that could you talk us through it
1: so just alluding to what I just said, so um, I'll take it in sort of like a more personal strand. When I, when I uh, first met you, Danny, <laughs> way back when uh, in East London, um, I was in a band. Yeah. Um, I loved being in that band. I was also doing a law degree um, at uh, a nearby university called Queen Mary. And, um, you know, the two didn't seem... Reconcilable, you know, in the sense of like my creativity converting into a natural career. I suppose you could run the analogy of like how is it possible for something so inherently subjective as music mm-hmm. being turned into an industrial process that allows you to derive a career and uh, a livelihood from it. If you, um, th- there have been many, many times when I've been in the back of an Uber um, mm-hmm. and the driver. Uh, starts asking me what I do for a living. Mm. And I tell them, and uh, it's very complicated, I try and simplify it, of course. And uh, they say, but, but how do you make money from music? Music is like air, music is like food, music mm. is a human right. So you have to really appreciate that music is an expression of the ultimate expression of culture. Since humanity could pick up a rock and hit another rock with it, that is what we have been doing in order to communicate it through non-linguistic means. Basically anything to each other involves body language, involves, you know, being in a commune. It's, uh, you know, music can be described as an irreligious experience for a lot of people in a societal or in an in a, in, in, in industrial kind of way. Um, however, you know, nevertheless, like music being inherently subjective, data can't be. Data is zeros and ones, data by definition Is objective. So these two elements, in my mind, seem a little bit difficult to reconcile. Yet that is what the music industry literally is. Mm. Um, Tech, in that way, becomes the market. Before, you know, uh, going back to like the university example, I didn't have the foggiest how to get involved with the music industry. My my assumption as a, a drummer in a really really sloppy emo band was you know, if I play loads and loads of gigs on campus, someone will notice me, something will happen. And then I realized that wasn't the case. And uh, you get to the point of like appreciating the irony that perhaps being in a band isn't conducive to deriving money from the music industry. So I then started to realize that tech, digital, we're all aware of it, but we, I didn't really understand it until I did, correlated it with what I was doing on my law degree uh, in the intellectual property sense, where I appreciated that tech is the market of music.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so in that sense, DSPs, like your Spotify's and whatnot, becomes both uh, a blessing and a curse, doesn't it? It's sort of like, you know, the, the zip line to getting noticed but also you might well fly off the other end like a malfunctioning ski lift, you know? It might get you where you're going a hell of a lot quicker, but I like, suppose in that linear, this all sounds like, uh, Danny, sorry, it's supposed to all of that. Uh, uh, tech, um, you know, certainly speeds things up, but then you start wondering, were we supposed to speed things up? Does the creative process in itself, to know that, what I mean by that's really around that point home. If we are flipping, tracks onto dsps like with flipping burgers that in itself being the industrialized process for fast food for example Mm. isn't it only a matter of time similar to the meat industry before that fills us up to the supply like so then you get your abattoirs you get your, your rainforest being destroyed to create farmland and i suppose it diminishes the art form in a less extreme sort of like analogy at the very least so you know, to the end of the point, uh, my apologies for swearing, but like, you know, this is why a lot of people in the consumer market feel like we're selling crap.
0: Mm.
1: And that why a lot of pop music tends to sound the same because it's sort of like, it follows a data driven formula of like, we think this will work with this audience. And usually it does. So we seldom um, remember this other notion, which is quite important to say, and the rift between creativity and the industrial process is that in my experience, 99% of the world does not care about how music arrives on their doorstep. Mm -hmm. They just care whether it's good. I mean, you know, we'll always see the public kicking off about, you know, Bob Dylan's not happy about that. Oh, you know, Eric Clapton shouldn't have said that. All of this kind of stuff. You know, there will always be a public interest around the celebrity of music. But in terms of like, you know, do you you think your average viewer of X Factor really gives a crap about like how many writers were on the uh, latest Rihanna track? And whether that filters into their decision-making, whether they'll listen to that thing. So that's the main rift. The result is you've got a decline, you know, that, that there is a decline in physical sales, although it is stable in one sense. Yeah. You know, really, you know, should we see physical sales as like a definitive format, seeing as there is also this inference that people lack the technology to actually play those physical formats when you see... Uh, vinyls being sold in like clothing shops, like Urban Outfits. Is it really a format or is it a merch item now? Is it a collectible in that sort of sense? So you get into the detail of how the consumer sees it. And the end result is that we have, um, you know, uh, a lot of companies like Hypnosis, mm-hmm. Primary Wave, a number of different firms, major labels converting into rights acquisitions bodies. They just buy copyrights that sell unless what we refer to as modern a and r i suppose you can look at like a fashion industry equivalent of this being the problem we can't be the designers and the buyers at the same time of our own products but then again record labels sometimes do that it all gets a little bit uh, uh murky um so polarization is taking place music has basically undergone its own industrial revolution Certain people want to go back to the pubs, want to okay. go back to like, sort of like, you know, the Bullion Gate discovery, where, I, where people sort of blur for the first time. You know, oh, I remember this, the old anecdotal side of A&R. And, you know, um, then there are companies who heavily invest in AI technology to find what's popping off in sort of like the other side of the world. And then, uh, you know, automate generating an offer and capturing like that—that's uh, that copyright. So it's a classic battle, I think, of tradition versus progress. And, um, you know, the problem that we are inevitably facing, and I guess I'll use an analogy with, say, fuels
0: mm-hmm. at the
1: moment, in order to, in order for the industry to progress, certain parts of the old world must give way. And that means they've got to disappear, which means people lose jobs, people got to go. But I suppose, you know, um, if you look at sort of like the upper echelon of artists, especially the sort of like more legacy side, you know, Sting, I believe, just completed the sale of his uh, catalogue over to Universal. So what you're also seeing is people bowing out. Yeah. That might infer if you're seeing featured artists sort of like going. What they're saying is there's no point in me challenging like, you know, the you know this has reached the glass ceiling in terms of innovation. The the tech kids won. We're setting up our catalogue. I'm just going to live off that and that'll be that. It is work, basically they're cashing out. Because the copyrights over a pandemic period have become so valuable they're being used for securities for loans. Like that that's mm. how far we've come in a financial sense, the music industry. But it is leaving creativity feeling quite stunted, which is a problem. Mm.
0: And and like you said, tradition will have to give way to progress and progress is more technology, using algorithms, you know, honing in on the data, looking at what's resonating with listeners on the platform. Doing more of that do we lose something I mean you know I remember like you said I remember the magic of being able to walk into a you know a grimy underground bar in in London and you know all of a sudden a band come on and you don't know who they are but the next minute they've made it big or you know there's something special and and you hear them and you think wow that's really different you know I haven't heard anything like that before Um, and on the streaming platforms now It follows you, doesn't it? It gives you your preferences, a bit like Netflix. So if you listen to enough music, it just recommends more of the same music. Uh, Over time, it curates playlists for you, which has more of the (laughs) same music. Um, Of course. So consumers are now being conditioned to think that they like a certain thing, and they don't really, because you're being spoon-fed, you don't even go out looking for something different, do you? you? You just get used to listening to that one type of thing. Um, i mean do you see um, it going more this way
1: i i think it's different strokes for different folks man um i think it's difficult to for me to i can always criticize just about anything but in terms of sort of like you know labeling sort of like things as good and bad i think mm. you know think we've all discovered that you know life is a spectrum and you know life is inherently different shades of gray uh, depends whose perspective uh, we're looking from. Mm. Um, you know, the, you know, one of the labels that I work with in the Music Federation seems uh, completely, you know, hellbent on um, wanting to and, and prides themselves on being like, you know, unashamedly a pub label,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know, that's their community. And actually, it's important to say, like, in the paradigms that you're describing. It's not just the musical payoffs that we're getting from attending live shows or actually sort of like going through a discovery you and i became very good friends mm-hmm. not just because of music and this has led to this sort of conversation later on in life so actually you know and we'll talk about this sort of like uh, later on what concerns me is the lack of offline interactions until You know, it's all very exciting, these tools. I like technology in general, I think it's great. I have techno joy, not techno fear. But you know, like any other tool, like a, I don't know, this is quite an extreme example. You know, it's like saying, can a gun be used for good and bad purposes? Probably, Mm -hmm. depending on the context of like the whole thing. Can a tractor be used for good and bad purposes? Probably, a lot of things can go wrong with a tractor, I imagine. So it really, it's, it's important to see it as a tool, not the definitive way to live, I think.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, y- you talk around uh, the, broken, the broken record issue as well. And well, what do you mean by that? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I can't guess with some of these points. You're going to have to talk me through it. What's the, what's the broken record issue?
1: So if you, um, for anyone listening, if you want to quickly hop onto Twitter and insert into Twitter, search for hashtag broken record, you'll come up with a number of prominent figures uh, primarily based in the UK. Um, the issue is not a, a brand new one. I suppose Like uh, people like myself have been subsisting under the broken record issue which it, uh, for some time, which is as follows. Music is unfair. Mm. Um, artist recompense is unfair. Currently within the, the, the existing streaming model, it is unfair in recompense terms to artists. I cannot stress that enough. So in that context of what we're talking about, broken record, it's as simple as this. On one hand, DSP makes money. It makes a lot of money. On the other hand, artists, presumably the rights holder who owns the copyright and the thing, especially if they're an independent artist, not making so much money.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. It suggests that there might be something in between those things or several things that are Taking bites out of the apple before the core actually arrives with the artist. Now this is at odd end. Now that if we are purely taking that on face value, you might go, "Bloody hell, this is criminal!" Mm-hmm. Like, and and it feels that way, doesn't it? You know, when like you know, you work, uh, if, I could definitely see it from like you know the artist's point of view. I know exactly how much work goes into creating a track, the writing, um, all of the processes involved in turning it into a master are almost infinite. I'm not sure if like you know A and R in that respect ever really ends. Um, so I, you know, absolutely the artists sort of like interest and in their labour share really needs to be taken into account. However. You, you know, it might seem tempting to go after, and this is what the point of the late of the recent uh, UK government inquiry into into streaming yeah. uh, was sort of trying to unearth. Like, you know, where is the money going, and who is doing what, and is it justified? Is it fair? So, on one hand, you've got the major labels, Universal, Sony, and Warner. Sitting in front of a government inquiry saying like it's perfectly fair why is that we pay lots and lots of money for these tracks we give advances
0: mm-hmm.
1: so uh, therefore it is justifiable that you know we are taking the vast majority of the financial risk and therefore we should enjoy the uh, most of the financial gains so you know the world hasn't doesn't seem to have had a problem with that for quite some time we're in on the resting on that sort of principle however we are now diving into the detail of exactly how complicated a release cycle is. There are many, many different stakeholders, most of which I've uh, mentioned in correlation to the music federation, mm-hmm. the artists. There are a load of other creatives involved with that. So you've got mixing engineers, you've got studio managers, etc. You've got producers, you've got mastering engineers, etc., etc. Everyone wants to be paid at every link in the chain. Then you've got like uh, delivery to the label which is um, you know product managers, A&R, uh, assistants, creatives, blah, 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 all this sort of stuff until it's finally delivered to market, which is uh, DSPs and that's uh, the consumer facing sort of side of recording music. So all of these different elements need recompense. Uh, so what happened within the uh, context of this uh, streaming inquiry, uh, a policy had been um, uh, had been sort of touted around by different music circles and inevitably ended up with the name of a law, but, uh, um, basically new legislation coming into this space, and it was being labelled equitable remuneration, which yep. sounds a very Human Rights Act sounding kind of name for a proposed uh, 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 bill. Um, and what, it, what the equitable remuneration sort of bill largely said was this, it was contesting the current ad revenue model that we all understand the uh, major DSPs to rest on, YouTube being like the biggest one, mm-hmm. and undoubtedly everyone here will be familiar with an advert. Uh, I mean they might well be listening to this on a DSP, on an advert model, and that is how the vast majority of music is consumed. Remember that bit because it becomes really important later and most people forget that bit. Mm-hmm. What is being touted around by for remuneration in terms of a new model for recompensing rights holders is called user-centric. So what we have is this currently, I'll I'll explain that a lot more simply. The current model that we use on streaming is this. 100 people listen to, just for example, 100 people listen to Spotify a month. Mm -hmm. Out of that, 99 of them listen to Ed Sheeran. Therefore, 99% of the revenue generated by uh, Spotify that month should go to Ed Sheeran. That's the basic sort of premise of what we have in terms of a model right now. Mm -hmm. What's being touted around by this legislation is a model called user-centric. Uh, this is a model used by uh, SoundCloud and a lot of DSPs that don't have a lot of subscriptions. Sorry, that are more subscription-based than they are ad model-based. Uh, it's completely the opposite. So um, what that means is, uh, in comparison to the previous model, um, you take out a subscription to the DSP, Danny. You, listen to, you spend 70% of your time listening to Nirvana. Therefore, the rights holder for Nirvana should get 70% of your uh, subscription fee. That sounds simple enough. The only problem is, bearing in mind what I just said, the vast majority of music is consumed on an ad revenue model. So that means it's got absolutely nothing to do with your subscription fee. So this kind of alludes to a a very vital element in in the broken record issue is the fact that the vast majority of the public does not actually pay to listen to music in any shape or form. They rely on advert consumption instead as recompense. So there was an AIM Commission study about uh, four or five years ago into an impact on user-centric, and what we found in general terms, AIM being the Association of Independent Music, which is a uh, uh, pr- rather prominent trade body for independent labels in the UK, and also gave witness evidence to um, uh, the inquiry. We, we actually undertook a study into the user-centric model and its impact. It turns out that, you know, if you are a Start out artists in a relatively mo- modest uh, terito- uh, territory for streaming, like, say, North Macedonia, you will probably make more like 5p a year uh, on that basis. In the major markets, it, we actually found you'll make less. In either model, it turns out that Ed Sheeran is actually still quite uh, popular. So, principally, the idea is what we, uh, that we need to eliminate this old-world problem caused by these moving tectonic plates um, however, we can't really do that by replacing it with uh, replacing an old world problem with an old world solution. So to round all of this off, um, my personal take and that and several people like me, we all want streaming to be denoted as its own unique intellectual property. Right. We don't think that copyright quite fits the scenario. We've now run with it for about a decade in streaming terms. And. Not just uh, the artists, but songwriters more specifically are being left out of this economy due to the laws not keeping up with where they're supposed to be. So we feel that I personally feel that the solution is to uh, make streaming its own intellectual property, right?
0: And if it actually if we make it its own intellectual property, right, just just mm-hmm. to kind of condense it, how does that actually help the artist at the end of the day? Well, if it's, it has its own IP, how does the artist benefit?
1: It defines the artist's share in more closely correlated with the varying formats that are going out. Now, you're going to have artists who who sell way more physical records, like, say, punk bands. Uh, One in particular that I work with uh, sells about, you know, two to three thousand physical copies of their album. You know, if we were taking the streaming equivalent, it would look like more like three hundred. So it recognises that certain genres, certain artists perform better on different formats than others. Mm -hmm. There there doesn't seem to be a massive outcry to update copyright or the artist's share when it comes to physical. And in fact, this is where, you know, uh, labels, uh, the ones that I look after, we're more encouraged to let artists keep their physical rights because that's just too valuable to them otherwise. Mm -hmm. If that's driving the majority of the income. So in order for the artists and I guess other creatives like songwriters and whatnot to really see the true value and therefore not dampen the quality of streaming formats per se and really concentrate on it. If they're not making a decent recompense on it, why should they care about it? Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, you know, I guess another point of discourse in terms of, you know, making different formats fairer for people depending on what they're actually better extrapolating a revenue from. Uh, something else that's obviously come up, if you're a Web three fanatic, or if you've even looked at social media in the last sort of like couple of years, you would have three seen three little letters, NFT, mm. sort of like being uh, correlated in, in the context of like you know where artists can make more of an income in the digital space. Uh, NFTs, <laughs> it's, it's non fungible tokens. For it, in non fungible tokens, yeah, yeah, I will yeah. just say, uh, Danny, that it is amazing how what, what people will buy it is not for me to say mm-hmm. what they should and should not buy if they've decided to buy it that's up to them but i absolutely appreciate uh that there is a collectible item sort of like aspects around this and it feel, they feel a closer proximity to the artist mm-hmm. my only issue is that you know with nfts it's uh bought, it's still reliant on the same sort of validating technology that crypto rests on it's still environmentally quite destructive And I'm, you know, actually going, uh, you know, finding a monetized solution that will actually result in us not having breathable air in about 10 years' time, I don't think is the way to go, which is why updating uh, the law and intellectual property terms seems like a better move, I think.
0: Mm. I'm still in shock that Jack Dorsey sold his first ever tweet as an NFT for
1: about (laughs) 3 million US dollars. I mean, again, I'm not sure. Well, you know, I'm only just getting on the property ladder myself in terms mm-hmm. of like you know owning the flat that I live in. So, so I've only just seen the point in that. Yeah. So um, I don't know. This is all a little sort of like far out for me. Again, like you know, if people buy it and it's safe for them to buy it, then we'll probably sell it yeah Uh, it's not for me to say what's like you know what what they're into or not and i guess like being you know sitting on top of like a federalized group of music companies all these companies are you know specialists in terms of like what they sell to their audiences it's great to be in a position to not have to or want to judge it it just it's not personally for me at this point and also i tend to screenshot a lot of stuff which annoys a lot of people
0: yeah Yeah. you can you can you can put that up on the wall as well Um, there you go yeah well, get, get, get the flat under your belt, and then you can buy my first tweet.
1: There you go, exactly. My first tweet about my first prophecy purchase. That'll work. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> so, why don't you round us off? the The last point is around uh, community is the solution to the tribal industry or a tribal industry.
1: For real, uh, I mean, the again, I'll sort of like make that analogy that. A lot of people in my line of work have lost their jobs uh, over the pandemic period, like uh, the UK workforce downsized by some 60,000 people. Uh, I imagine within that, uh, I, don't, I don't really want to dance around this bit, there is still ongoingly, and this is kind of my like personal to talking about this uh, community solution, there has always been that mental health crisis looming with music. And now that the financial pinch is coming in for a lot of people, it almost seems in Drastically bad taste for to see this reportage of like you know certain companies making billions per quarter when certain friends of mine who work in live music can't afford to pay their rent you know yeah Um, so I'll say this it takes it takes a world war for this country for the UK to see the point of building an NHS you know when 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 people when people have been battered by something I I can't one of my favourite phrases from the last two years has been like we're not we're not actually all in the same boat, but we are all in the same storm, and we have been. And when that happens, you develop empathy, you develop a degree of understanding. I firmly believe is how uh, empathy is how humanity is going to survive everything. It won't be some technological whiz kid or some weapon that comes to our aid i think it'll come down to one silly piece of music or you know uh love basically Mm. so my idealistic future is combining the worlds of star trek and bill and ted quite frankly and uh it's starting to feel more and more that that might be a reality at some point so i'm just drawing that analogy to sort of like you know when a disaster happens people see the point in helping each other out because yeah. then you start to realize that you you're all that you've really got and no one else is coming to save you basically so that's when you form a community yeah the pandemic effectively shut down life we talked about you know how the streaming revenue models were cross-examined to the nth degree at least in this country and uh you know similar to a society just what i was saying before like you know in those times, like, um, you know, the industry then at least from my perspective started to rely on empathy as a means of trading i mentioned a trade body that i've been on the board of for quite a few years called the association of independent music and one of my proudest moments of being involved in that organization was right back at april 2020 The board, there's about 20 people on there from you know different labels like Beggars, Transgressive, uh, Hospital. I don't know what we were doing on there because we're not as big as those guys, but like uh, you know, I was very grateful to partake. And um, you know, we all voted unanimously to convert our working capital into a rescue fund for people who weren't our members because we realised that we had to do something we realized that government were not going to intervene in this space in any meaningful time mm-hmm. and you know all of a sudden the very richest of us couldn't possibly uh, spare the cash yeah you know all these big award winners all of these people being reported in news reportage and I, I i do sound very bitter here but that's because i am mm. you know what i'm having to sort uh, really what i'm on the receiving end of like you know outcry emails from People who are the touring crew of quite popular artists, and it's a little bit of a shame that, that you know people on that side could spare a little bit of money to look after them, but it's like, no, they send them to us instead. Yeah. I do feel better, I think in those times you find out who's really on side with the program and who isn't. Mm-hmm. So, really, like over that period, like what I realized is that trade bodies have a lot easier time talking to different constituents like AIM because they are solely concerned their entire existence. Is calculated to the benefit of their members mm-hmm. that's why they exist and I said right there's something in that we are a cool you know I was running that label killing Moon, at the time like we're a cool recognized independent label mm-hmm. we do good work we're extremely fair we're extremely generous it turns mm-hmm. out on uh, rights holding and we actually have a successful track uh, track record of building careers so why don't we just do that for other people? It's going back right back to the beginning of this conversation that it's lonely. Music, being in the music industry is fun, but it's also lonely, especially when you're running your own shop. So you know, you, you, what I realise is that I've been competing against people who are like me, and it's sort of like, and it's almost, almost feels like we're competing for the scraps off whoever's table that we're all ostensibly trying to eat off, and we have forgotten our sovereign right all of these different things we're talking about are connected by the way um but you know forgetting that that amazing sovereign right to self-determination that's what independence actually means in the context of independent music it's got nothing to do with who you're taking funding of or who you're taking help from no one ever makes it on their own i cannot think of a single person in the upper echelons of music or otherwise that has actually inverted commas made it mm-hmm. on their own. It's it's just a party line that we sell to people so we can shift books about our life stories afterwards. It's nothing to do with the reality of the situation. Mm. I don't think For anyone in any industry own. ever makes it on their own. Absolutely. It? We all need help and we can all recognise it's like why are we competing when we should be kind of forming a bit of a human pyramid to actually get over this ostensible brick wall called barriers to uh, barriers to trading. Mm. and we're not going to be able to win this thing on financial terms alone like there are players in this they're reporting you know the small you know these majors are reporting the equivalent of you know small countries gdp every quarter now Mm. there is no point in trying to compete in those sorts of elements so what we what we need to compete with is what we do best and go right back to it that's innovation in terms of a and r a pound In the hands of an independent music company will count as a thousand in the hands of a major company. And, uh, you know, uh, without delving too much into sort of like the model that we're peddling here, we're only uh, into six months trading. But, you know, the Music Federation does allow people to step up to the meritocratic uh, plate. We don't care about how much catalog you've got. We don't care about how much money you've got. We care about potential. We care about, are you a cool person? We care about, are you trying to do good things for people who aren't you? And that is how memberships of the Music Federation is denoted. So you can see there, it's less about trying to change the music industry. In order to bring change to the music industry, you need to change the world. You need to change the attitude. You need to change how people talk to each other, how they interact, and that necessitates a community around this
0: industry. Really interesting what you were talking through there, I think community is the pillar and, and supporting each other and, and being able to to give artists a voice and make sure they have a seat at the table is is crucial. I guess just while i 've got you on um, from a techno you know from a technology angle uh, and we were chatting about the future of the music industry and you shared earlier around the streaming platforms and and the data and and how it's becoming more commoditized. How how, how do you think that will play out in the next five to 10 years? What do you think is going to happen in terms of technology?
1: I mean, um, technology has greatly advanced in terms of decision-making and presenting menus of choice. I have to say, I feel very fatigued a lot of the time when it comes to making decisions. I think at this stage, in terms of like my own personal development, given the last two years, the a chap I went out uh, for dinner with yesterday, and we're talking about this very thing about, you know, lockdown rules, like, you know, that I can't be bothered to decide whether I should be going outside or not, if it's sort of like, you know, so much choice is put on me as an individual. Where do I think it'll go? It's looking pretty meta at the moment. I think, you know, now that... The older generations, the so-called silver surfers, have now taken out premium subscriptions, especially in the sort of like you know DSP context. There is going to be an increased demand for more offerings in a home setting. Um, I think uh, that agenda has been very much sort of like uh, portrayed by you know Facebook. I think you know I've been doing a lot of work in terms of uh, uh, live performance streaming. Um, There are far more market-based solutions now than there were two years ago, simply because I guess we've got the time and the demand uh, to sort of like cater to. I mean, the, the tone I'm taking right now, it's sort of like more of a weary one rather than a not excited one. I think we really, not in a religious kind of like sense or indeed a pious one, but I do feel that we do need to take a hard look at like what the impact assessment of these technological advances really are. Was it necessarily a good idea to start developing nuclear technology as an energy solution when we realise that it's actually really, really bad for us? It's like it may feel great, things might go faster, they might shine more brightly but you know there are other problems that we as a species have to deal with rather than sort of like how great music sounds and how conveniently we can get it to people uh simply put what good is uh you know having an oculus headset if you can't breathe um you know like uh, there are sort of like other aspects of sort of like the unfurling of technology that i feel take us away from the empathetic uh, element of what it means to be alive, the experiences that we sort of had, and the definition between what is real and what isn't. I and mean, I think, you know, so perhaps I, 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 what I want to happen is these uh, technologies to sort of like be calculated through my own personal set of values. But then again, we're talking about the infinite subjectivity of all of this sort of stuff, and my set of values might not reflect, you know, what, uh, um, you know, one of the dudes uh, uh, hanging on the ranch in Texas my value you know like there's a lot of difference there so really um, i think in terms of like the for me technology equates to connectivity to communication i think we really need to invest in how things are being communicated and i think dsps the providers of these uh, technologies are in imminently about to come over a duty of care and what they are uh uh what they are allowing to be communicated across their platforms i am making that in reference to like the joe rogan's and whatnot mm. we, we have seen consumer power i mean uh spotify has been the uh, world leader in um and they you know i i have friends at spotify i work very closely with spotify uh but if i were you know suddenly portraying podcasts by people like joe rogan if i was suddenly funding defense uh, uh firms and what's not and, and you know getting into like technologies yes i could say it's just uh, uh an investment and it's like so what but it sort of like does say something about the character and i think that is about to become fully implemented a, a spectrum of morality being imparted into the purveyance of technology i think we, we want technology that can feel you know and until that point until we uh, until that point humanity is the feeling element and so therefore the purveyance of technology needs to be calculated in terms of how we feel about it <clears throat> ongoingly it's going to take infinite discussion uh, infinite sort of criticism but i think that's the, that's the beauty of it maybe that's the point of it you know
0: yeah it's maybe more around is it technology actually adding to the the in person or the you know that magic that you get when when you do step out of the the kind of the The headset that you mentioned or doing things on your own you want it's that communal experience isn't it of of consuming and enjoying music um, with others and and how technology can actually add to that I remember there was holograms wasn't there being beamed onto stages and amazing things with sound systems and areas you can go and utilize technology at festivals with friends I guess that's really where the merging of the two probably add the the most uh, value and excitement for people don't they?
1: Exactly. and I think you know, um, what, what we're tasked with right now in order to promote why that's a good thing to do outside of the commercial space, like in marketing terms, um, you know, uh, there's a fantastic uh, um, uh, economist uh, short video on this in terms of like the purveyance of how events are evolving themselves and we're about to step through the so-called sort of like fifth echelon of that like right now events are sold on the basis of the interpersonal relationships that you will develop as a result of it you go to certain festivals like Glastonbury, Coachella, Primavera, Reading and Leeds and whatnot because it seems like a bit of a rite of passage and you'll Uh, treasure those memories if you can actually remember them uh, um, for for the rest of your life. It's a bonding, that kind of thing. Now, can technology do that in the gaming sense? Quite possibly. Undoubtedly, it has sort of like made advances in that. So perhaps music needs to just sort of like keep up in that sort of way. I'm not saying technology is inherently bad. Um, I'm saying that there is a need for balance. Between all these different things, like the legislative sense and the community sense and the technological sense and the creative sense, all of it needs to coexist, which is why it's really easy to explain all of this in more environmental terms than anything else.
0: Yeah, completely agree. Um, So, how can people get in touch if they want to find out
1: more? Oh, well, technology, uh, well, we have um, we have a website, just Google the Music Federation or go into themusicfederation.com. Um, you'll probably see us littered about with various sort of like B2B magazines with our different announcements about our safe spaces policy uh, or anti-bullying stance, like different stuff, our new mentorship schemes that we're deploying in different uh, music business schools around the world to sort of like become the Harvard Business School of the industry. Um, so there are a number of different means we're on socials um, my email is uh, ach at musicfederation.com if you'd like to chat direct and I'd absolutely love to hear from you
0: I've really enjoyed uh, having you on Digital Transformation and Leadership and you, know, you giving such a fantastic overview on the topic and, and what it's all about thanks so much for having me man it's been really great, thank you we've made it to the end of another episode of Digital Transformation and Leadership If you're enjoying the show, please do leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. No need to leave a written review. Just clicking on the five stars is enough. I'd really appreciate it as it helps the show get found and it helps those listener numbers grow. And we'll be back again next week when we will again go behind the scenes with another top business leader to understand how they're digitally transforming their company. The Digital Transformation and Leadership Podcast is a Blue Aurora Media Production.